Hey Eaglebrook, we are in the middle of a series called Stronger. And as most of you know, I'm already pretty strong, kind of known for that. But for this series, I thought, let's put my strength to the test. And so I'm here today at Believer's Boxing Facility in Wyoming, Minnesota, and I get to meet a two-time WWE champion. I'm gonna get in the ring, learn some moves, and see just how strong I really am. Come on in, let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Nora, better known as Molly Holly during her days as a professional wrestler. Nora, tell me a little bit of how you got started in this. Well, I graduated from Forest Lake High School and I moved south to Tampa, Florida. And I was discovered by somebody who had a pro wrestling school. They asked me to join them. Okay. And so after a couple years on the minor leagues, I was discovered by Macho Man Randy Savage. Cool. He asked me to be part of his entourage on television. And at 21 years old, I started my professional wrestling career. And then I eventually went on to become a women's champion. Unbelievable. All right, I've heard of Macho Man Randy Savage, but I haven't watched wrestling since I was like a kid. So some of my favorites, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, Ultimate Warrior, uh, Ric Flair. Do you know any of those guys? I do, okay. and maybe today I can show you some of their moves if, right. you're, if you're interested. All right, I'm ready to get started. Where do we begin? All right, well, first we need to warm up. Okay. So I know wrestling's fake, so I'm not really going to get hurt here, am I? Well, you can't fake gravity, okay. so it, it is possible that you would be hurt today. Okay. The most common injury for a training would probably be concussion. Oh, okay. So is well, your brain important to you at all? Yeah, that's no big deal. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say like a tweaked ankle or something. All right, do you think I'm ready? I think so. All right. Let's head up to the ring. All right, let's do it. show you is how to fall. Okay. You want your chin tucked so that you don't knock the back of your head. So it's gonna look like this. <laughs> Alright, this maneuver is called an arm ringer. Okay. Okay. All right. Actually hurt a little bit. Alright, so this one is called a camel clutch. Camel clutch, okay. And it's all about the facial expression, so show the people how it hurts. This next move is called a hip toss. Alright. Yes! Yeah, not bad. That was pretty good. Okay. So a suplex. Okay. It's gonna be another forward roll maneuver. Okay. So I'm going to grab you, hook you and throw you. One, two, three. <laughs> All right, so the next thing we're gonna do is a clothesline. So kind of get ready. Yep. Exhale. Yep. <laughs> I think I'm getting pretty good. All right, to go off the ropes, you grab it with your hand, it hits your lat and your hip, and you go. All right. Yeah! Yes! Hit you with the clothesline. Oh! Yes! That was it! That was a legitimate, that was a legitimate, like, <laughs> took me in the chin. 
Now, are you ready for a body slam? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'm not All quite right. sure about that. We'll give yeah. it a try. Right. I think you'll be okay. All right, we got a mat. So, okay, yep. All right. <gasps> oh. One, two, three. Oh. <laughs> Please, that was a good one, wasn't it? Did that look cool? I was it like. It wasn't a body slam. I don't know what it was, but it's okay. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, thank you. All I can say is it's a good thing we had that mat, or I don't think I'd be standing in front of you uh, today. And we're actually going to hear from Nora a little bit later. I had a chance to sit down and interview her about a more serious topic. But clearly from that video, i got to get stronger this year. And that's what this series has been all about. It's about getting stronger. But unfortunately for me, not about getting stronger in abs and biceps and body slams. It's been about getting stronger in courage, character, communication with God. And today's message is titled, Control. How would your life be different if you were stronger in self-control? Would your marriage be different if you had more self-control with your words? Would you feel better and have more energy if you had more self-control with food or with exercise? Would you have more savings in the bank account if you had more self-control when it came to spending? When you think about it, self-control leads to a happier marriage, a healthier lifestyle, and more financial freedom. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that most of what you and I want in life comes from being stronger in self-control. But self-control is hard. And it's hard because we're all tempted by something. You know, maybe you tear up when you think about the way you yelled at your kids this morning. Maybe you deleted the history on your internet browser just this week, vowing to never access those images again. Maybe you're tempted to gossip to disobey your parents, to not forgive your spouse, or to compare yourself to other people. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. Every single one of us is tempted by something, myself included. Throughout my life, I've been tempted to anger, lust, pride, selfishness. My latest temptation is yelling at referees, coaching my two oldest sons, second and third grade basketball team, and I cannot stop yelling at these referees. Now, yelling is overstated. I don't yell, I don't scream, it's not that bad, but I do like to argue, and I do like to state my case once in a while. These referees are high school students, <laughs> most of whom are volunteering their time. But there's one in particular, he doesn't even pretend to pay attention, and it drives me nuts sometimes. In fact, a few weeks ago, my oldest son had the best block of his life. I mean, we're talking Dikembe Mutombo, finger wagon, don't bring that weak sauce into my house kind of block. The referee who was right in front of him called a clean block. The referee who was at half court and completely out of position called a foul. I could hear this voice in my head saying, let it go, let it go. But the next thing I knew, I was on my feet and I was saying to this referee, hey, he called it a clean block. He said, no. That was all he said in response, no. I said, yes, he did. And you're at half court, that's not your call. Finally, I sat down. But afterwards, I thought, you know, that was dumb. Most of the people here know I'm a Christian. I probably shouldn't have bothered to argue about that. And this is not a one-time occurrence. Most games, I come home and tell my wife, I really wish I wouldn't have said that. I lack self-control. I'm tempted. Why am I tempted? Well, the Bible actually answers that question. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, God blesses 
the people who patiently endure testing. Maybe you're in a season of testing in your life right now. That's what an incredible promise for you, to know that God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. James goes on. He says, afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say that God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else either. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that in the original Greek, the word for testing and tempting comes from the same root word, which raises this question, what is the difference between testing and tempting? I mean, if God is testing me, doesn't that mean he's kind of tempting me as well? Well, no, it doesn't. There's a critical distinction that needs to be made here. The goal of tempting is evil. The goal of testing is, as James 1.4 says, that you may be strong in character and ready for anything. Do you see the difference? The goal of testing is for your good. God wants the best for your life. He wants to strengthen your character. Tempting is different. The goal of tempting is sin, evil, and destruction. God does not tempt. But if God doesn't tempt us, then where does temptation come from? Well, James answers that question in the next verse. He says this, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. Now, just to be clear, most desires that we have are God-given, right? We have a desire for food. We have a desire for relational intimacy. Those are God-given desires. But James attaches this adjective, evil, An evil desire is a God-given desire that's out of control or being used in the wrong context. It's out of control or it's being used in the wrong context. In fact, you may want to jot this quote by Pastor Greg Laurie down. He says, the sin in temptation is not in the bait, it's in the bite. Everyone gets tempted. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, when you are tempted... It doesn't say if you're tempted, it says when you are tempted. Everyone gets tempted, but temptation is not a sin. The sin is not in the bait, it's in the bite. It's in the action, which is why James says this in the next verse. He says these evil desires lead to evil actions. So you want something, and then you act in a way to get it. And if you're a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian... That action is usually followed by some sort of promise that you're never going to do it again. You could call this pattern, I decide, then oops. So you decide you're going to eat healthier this year, but then you go to the movie theater and you can get a small popcorn, which is the size of a Dixie cup, (laughs) or for just 50 cents more, you can get a large popcorn that's the size of a garbage can and has free refills. I decide then oops. Or you take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese. They want pizza. You're not going to get any. You've seen what it's done to Chuck E. He's not the most svelte rodent, you know. But pretty soon you're looking at your kids and you're going, you're going to finish that? And next thing you know, you've eaten five pieces of pizza. I decide, then oops. I do this all the time. I will decide that I'm not going to eat sugar. And then I'm like, oh, brownie sundae with hot fudge on top. Oops. I will decide that I'm not going to speak harshly to my kids, and then they'll forget their water bottle at basketball practice for the third week in a row, and I oops. 
I decide, then oops. When it comes to self-control, this is the pattern that most of us live in. I decide, then oops. And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but look at what James says in the next verse. He says, these evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Adultery brings a certain kind of death to any marriage. Pornography is death to relational intimacy. Drunkenness is death to a productive kind of life. Anger and harsh words will bring a death to any relationship. Evil desires lead to evil actions, which leads to death. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says this, A person without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. What does he mean by that? He's saying that the person who doesn't have self-control, they have no protection over temptation in their life. They are one decision away from wrecking their life. What if I were to commit adultery this week? What would I lose in that? What would be at stake in that? Well, first of all, it would ruin my marriage. I mean, if Sarah and I were able to work, work through it, and I hope that we would be able to, her ability to trust me would be permanently scarred. If we weren't able to work through it, our 18 years of history, 12 years of marriage, 6 years of dating, just gone. I could never replace that. My kids would probably be resilient. That's what everybody says anyway. You know, kids are so resilient. That is until they became teenagers or became young adults and could articulate their pain. Then they would tell me how my one decision, my selfish decision, hurt them as a kid what it was like not to have your dad around on a regular basis, and what it was like to find out everything you thought about your father was untrue. I would for sure lose my job, but even more importantly than that, I would lose my witness. People who knew that I was a Christian would go, typical. I've always said there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians. I mean, look at that guy. People who respected me as a person of faith would be disillusioned. Some might even question their own faith. Some of you have experienced this pain firsthand. You had a spouse look you in the eye, and they said, in sickness and in health, and then they cheated. And you still have the pain and the scars that you're dealing with today. I want you to hear that Jesus Christ can heal you. He can even heal your marriage, but he can comfort you during this time if you would let him. Others of you are on the other side of this. You are the one who cheated. And I want you to hear that God can restore you. He can wipe the slate clean when you repent. And that really is the critical word. When you acknowledge your sin and you turn away from it, God can wipe the slate clean. He can make you a strong man or woman of God who he will use in powerful ways. But I think we could all agree that there's only one word to describe what this does to relational intimacy, and that's death. That's why the author of Proverbs concludes this way. He says, he will die for lack of self-control. A lot of smart and successful people, they ruin their life for one reason. It's not because they lack intelligence. They've got plenty of that. It's not because they lack talent. They're gifted and talented people. They ruin part or all of their life for one reason. They lack self-control. They had no self-control over their desire for food, drink, sex, money, power, or fame, and it ruined them. By the way, it's not just athletes. 
and politicians who deal with this, those are just the ones that make the news. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that temptation is common to man, something that every single one of us has in common. To be human is to be tempted. And so the issue is not, are you being tempted? Of course you're being tempted. The issue is, do you know what tempts you? And are you striking back at that temptation in your life? And so today I want to give you three ways that you can strike back at temptation, three ways to get stronger in self-control. Here's the first one. Make an advanced decision. Bob talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You got to make an advanced decision. Did you know that we're being lied to on a daily basis? If you watch TV, you are being lied to. I was watching a message by a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he referenced this article called Ad versus Reality. This guy went out and he compared the advertisement of burgers to the actual burger that you get in the restaurant. Here's the first one on the side screens here. <laughs> that is the advertisement for Burger King Swapper on the left. And then on the right is the actual burger he got at the restaurant. Most attractive angle, slightly fluffed up. <laughs> the next one here is the Whopper Junior, which I might add the advertisement is identical to the Whopper. But that's the actual burger. That mutation that you see on the right is the actual burger slightly fluffed up. Here's another company that lies to you, beer companies. For instance, there is a beer company out there right now that wants you to believe that if you will buy their ice-cold frosted brew, that you will become a rugged mountain-climbing man. <laughs> right? All you got to do is get the beer and you will become a rugged mountain-climbing man. In fact, have you noticed that in beer commercials, the people are always fit. They're always skinny with six-pack abs, sitting on a teak chair overlooking the beach. Let's be honest. If you like to drink a lot of beer, this is your favorite activity right there. Okay? That's what you feel like doing. Now, why do beer companies do this? Well, it's very simple. They want you to feel instead of think. They want you to feel like, if I drink that beer, I'm going to be fit, and I'm going to get all the ladies. That is totally irrational. But that's kind of the point. Here's a question for you. Will you make better decisions in life if you make them in advance, in a thought-out, prayerful kind of way, or if you make them on the spot, in the moment, based on your feelings? I think we would all agree that on-the-spot, in-the-moment decisions based on your feelings have a higher failure rate. Let's play this out in a couple of scenarios. Dating relationships. When is the best time to decide the kind of person you want to date? When is the best time to decide what your sexual boundaries are going to be? Is it best to do that at 1 o'clock in the morning when you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend in the basement by yourself? Or is it better to make that decision in a thought-out, prayed-up kind of way in advance? It's not real wise to make a life-altering decision at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's not real wise to make a life-altering decision in the backseat of a car or at a party when you're 16 years old. Much wiser to make that decision in advance based on God's word. By the way, even wiser not to put yourself in that situation in the first place. What about church? When's the best time to decide if you're going to come to church? 
wake up in the morning, flip a coin, check the weather? Or should you think about that in advance and say, you know what, for us and our family, we're going to be in church every week. Friends, no more flipping coins. No more, I was out a little bit late last night. When you don't feel like coming to church, that's when you need to get here. There's been so many times in my life where I have not felt like going to church. And then I'll go. And I'll walk out those doors and I'll go, oh, thank you, God. That I put myself in a position where I could hear from you today because I experienced you in that moment. Here's the last one. If God were to give me the ability to have every single person in this church make one advanced decision, here's what I would choose. I would choose for every single one of us to read the Bible on a daily basis. I would do almost anything to see every person in this church with a Bible that was underlined, marked up, pages falling out because it was getting read so often. I would do almost anything for parents of little kids to be reading the Bible to their kids and teaching them about who Jesus Christ is? What if you made an advanced decision that for 15 minutes every day, at this time and at this place, you were going to get into God's Word? We've got a Bible reading plan that we're doing right now as a church for this series, Stronger. You can find it at eaglebrookchurch.com backslash 30-day challenge. There's still time to jump in. But here's why this is so important. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then don't miss this last one, because this is the one a lot of people skip over, and self-control. When you are filled up with God's Spirit, it will produce love, joy, peace, and self-control. See, when it comes to self-control, most of us think willpower. We think, okay, I'll just try harder next time. It's not about that. It's about being filled up with God's Spirit so that self-control flows out of who you are. Point is, the wisest people I know make big decisions in advance. They have more self-control because they make advance decisions. I mentioned earlier that I had a chance to sit down with Nora, also known as Molly Holly, during her days as a professional wrestler, and I wanted to ask her this question. How did you deal with temptation and have self-control as a Christian in the world of professional wrestling? Take a look at the side screens. Well, Nora, thank you so much uh, for showing me some things in the wrestling ring and teaching me a little bit how to wrestle. That was fun. Uh, but I want to hear a little bit about your faith and how you became a Christian. Well, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, but I didn't really accept Christ like for myself until I was about 14 years old. Okay. At a Bible camp, they you know, shared the gospel and, um, and I felt that conviction and I, and I gave my life to the Lord. And it was really tough as a 14 year old because I was kind of like in a rougher crowd and I decided that I didn't want to continue living the way that I was. And so I lost a lot of friends. And because I felt lonely and I didn't have a lot of friends, I actually, um, got to know God on a deeper level through his word. The Bible um, really became a foundation for my faith. And the things that God spoke to me through his word really helped prepare me uh, for my life in professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. So when you're in professional wrestling, all of a sudden these verses come back to you. Yes, yeah. and it's the first verse that I memorized was 1 Corinthians 10, 13, mm -hmm. and it was about temptation. Yeah. And so that, that was something that, that stuck in my mind for, yeah. for years. So what was it like living as a Christian in the world of professional wrestling? 
Well, it was hard. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a lot of Christian co-workers, um, so there were times when it felt lonely. But actually, after a while of people kind of knowing that I'm a Christian and knowing um, that I was going to stay true to my convictions, they actually started to respect me for yeah. it. And um, a lot of people kind of started to look out for me like mm -hmm. I was their little sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they treated you with great respect and things mm -hmm. like that. That's cool. Uh, what were the kind of temptations that were in that world? Well, as you can imagine, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and yeah. roll temptations that, you know, come with the entertainment industry. Um, but as far as, like, the drug side of things, um, really just the fact that I was in physical pain yeah. every day. Yeah. And so the idea of, like, whoa, if I just took this drug, I wouldn't be in pain, you know? So that was a temptation. As far as the sexual temptation, when I was first, you know, trying to make it to the big leagues, I was told by other women, like, oh, you have to use your sexuality to make it. Like, oh. if you want to be in the big leagues, if you... Yep want to accomplish your dreams, you know, you have to flirt this way or you have to do these things. And and I was like, I'm not going to do that yeah. stuff, you know. And so so that, I would say, was a temptation. And, and even with drinking, when you have people that you look up to and respect as performers, people who on television are known for their beer drinking, yeah. and then they offer you a beer <laughs> and it's like, oh, are they going to think I'm a nerd, you know, like, and reject me. And so there was definitely, like, a lot of temptation to just do what everybody else was doing yeah. so that I would be liked or, or promoted. Yeah. So how did you avoid those temptations? What kind of tactics did you use? Well, I think when I was 14 years old, you know, I made these firm decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, you know, not going to have sex before I'm married. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do drugs. And, mm -hmm. you know, I want to honor God with my life. And so having that already solidified, you know, in my mind and practicing that throughout my teen years, yep. I think, prepared me. The other part of that would be about walking up to the line of mm -hmm. sin. You know, I would try to stay as far back as possible because those thoughts will come in where it's like, well, if he's my boyfriend, then it's maybe we could have sex or, oh, well, you know, maybe if the pain is excruciating, then I'll take my friend's pain pills yep. or, you know, that Get as close to the edge yes, as you can. Yes, close to the line yep. as possible. Yep. But um, I know that as far as you know, a lot of those things impair judgment, and I can make plenty of bad decisions <laughs> sober, you know, yep. I, I don't need to be impaired. Yep. Um, and then also when I was on the road, I would find a church to go to. So cool. I've been to churches in 49 states, wow. and so that was a big part of it, um, too, is just trying to stay connected with God's Word. How do you think your faith helped you deal with temptation and have self-control? Well, without Jesus Christ, I would be a statistic. Um, through my relationship with God, I was able to see that these worldly things and you know all the pleasures that that are dangled before you that mm -hmm. those really mean nothing mm -hmm. and really only things of eternal value matter. Mm -hmm. That's great. So looking back, uh, how was the decision to have self-control and be true to yourself? How has that affected your life today? Well, one thing is that I feel like having self-control um, has protected me from a lot of pain and heartache. You know that that God has kind of shielded me from a lot of things that um, that I could still be kind of reliving in my mind today. And the other thing is that I have an opportunity to share my testimony and to share my story. I've spoken in almost every middle school and the Twin Cities, yeah. and I speak at youth groups about sexual purity and just being like a role model for my nieces and nephew. Um, you know, that really, through the power of Jesus Christ, has just given me this um, platform to yeah. be able to um, to share what he's done in my life. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing it with us a little bit. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great stuff in there.
made a decision at 14 years old, learned some Bible verses that God brought to her memory and mind later on in life. You got to make advance decisions. That's the first way to have stronger self-control. The second way is this, to watch and pray. Jesus once said this to his disciples. He said, watch and pray so that you not, will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, if you don't want to fall into temptation, you got to watch and you got to pray. We all get tired. We all get vulnerable in some area of life. We all have a flesh that is weak. Jesus says, you got to watch and you got to pray. First Peter 5 says it this way. Be careful. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Now, whenever I will share verses like this, some people kind of roll their eyes a little and they think, really, Satan, the devil, that sounds so Star Wars-y or Lord of the Rings-ish. I mean, do you really believe that? And I could devote a whole message to this, but since some of you are wondering, let me just raise the question. Is it reasonable to believe in a being called Satan? I believe that it absolutely is. And I'll give you two quick reasons why. The first one is there is a gravity of sin in our world today that points to an intelligent opposition. Genocide, what's been taking place in the Middle East, what just happened in Nigeria, rape, abuse, sex trafficking. There is a level of evil in the world today that goes beyond just that wasn't very nice. There is a level of evil in the world today that can only be described as demonic. It appears that an intelligent being, and not just coincidence or poor choices by people, is behind it all. The second reason is because Jesus believed that Satan was a real being. He referred to the devil as a real being. Jesus also rose from the dead. When in doubt, go with the guy who rose from the dead. But... Peter says that not only is Satan real, he's prowling. He's looking to devour you, and his devouring of you may not be as you would expect. For example, if I'm walking out of church today, and somebody approaches me in the parking lot, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but they come up and they say, hey man, you want to buy some black tar heroin? I'm not weighing that in my head. I'm not, I don't have a list of pros and cons. That's a pretty easy no for me. But there are other things that I am vulnerable to, and Satan knows it. He knows what you are vulnerable to, and that's where he wants to devour you. That's where you need to watch and pray. So what is that for you? Where is that area in your life that you look at and go, you know what, I'm vulnerable right there. I, I usually lack self-control when I'm there. Maybe for you it's the boardroom or the break room, anger or gossip. Maybe it's the computer. Maybe it's when you're around a certain person or reading a certain magazine. Maybe it's business travel or the bar. I don't know what it is, but where is that area that you find yourself a little bit vulnerable? That's the area you need to watch and avoid. And that's where Jesus says you need to pray about. You got to watch and you got to pray. That's the second way to get stronger in self-control. The third way is this. Don't feed it. Most people do not choose to have a fiery temper or to go on alcoholic binges. Most people do not first decide that adultery is right and then start fantasizing about their neighbor. Most people do not first learn to praise gluttony and then start drizzling bacon grease over their third helping of chicken fried steak. It happens in reverse. It starts small and it gets bigger. Temptation starts gradually. 
begins with a lingering hug, a second look, a thought about what to wear when that person is around. And it gets bigger from there. In fact, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. The decisions that you make in small temptations will give you the strength to face the bigger ones. You may think, that's not a big deal. That's just a small temptation. But no, the strength that you get to face those will help you in the bigger temptations down the road. It's because temptation is gradual. And that's why you got to stop feeding it early on. This past summer, our family went out to the Black Hills. And while we were there, we visited Custer State Park. And Custer State Park has wild donkeys. It's crazy. You come around a corner in the middle of nowhere, and there's like half a dozen donkeys standing alongside of the road. And they stand there because they know that tourists like me will feed them. But they don't politely stand there waiting for you to hand them a carrot. These donkeys are pushy. They will stick their head right into your car. Here's a picture of this donkey sticking his head into my car. Now, at first, this was fun. We had some carrots with our lunch. I don't care about those. I was happy to give the carrots to the donkey. But after the carrots, he didn't budge. So I gave him some string cheese. And then I gave him part of my sandwich. Pretty soon, this donkey had eaten my whole lunch. And he wasn't going anywhere. Here's a picture of this donkey in my face in the car. Now, here's the point. Feeding the donkey did not make it go away. Feeding the donkey only made it crave more, and it's the exact same way with sin. Sin is not an itch that you scratch. It's more like poison ivy. The more you scratch it, the worse it ends up getting. The more you feed it, the more it wants. And so the question is, who or what is the donkey in your life? Don't look at the person next to you. They're not the donkey anyway. Your donkey is that sin or that temptation that the more you feed it, the more it starts to control you. And so you think, oh, I'll just have one drink. I'm just going to look for a little bit. I'm just going to fantasize for a moment. I'm stressed. I need this. I deserve this. But it's never enough. In fact, the way to keep the donkey from eating your lunch is to never roll down the window. And it's the exact same way with sin. The way to keep sin out of your life is to never give it an opening. And so let me ask you, what sin do you need to close the window on today? Maybe it's just open a crack. But that crack is getting bigger and bigger, and pretty soon that sin is going to be in your face. The time to shut the window is today. My son Jasper is two years old, and he'll do this thing where if, if he has a gingerbread house that we've just made, like in this picture, and I tell him, hey, don't touch that, he'll stare at it. He'll stick his nose up to it. He'll put his hands right by it. And I'll say, Jasper. And he'll turn to me and he'll go, what? I'm just looking. <laughs> and maybe you're listening to this message today and you're thinking, what? I'm just looking. I'm not going to cheat. I'm just looking. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just looking. But that's where it starts. It starts with a look. In Proverbs chapter 5, a father is warning his son about a certain immoral woman. He says, son, don't even get close to her. Don't even go near her door. In other words, don't even open the window a crack, son. And then he says this in the next verse. He says, don't let her coyness seduce you. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not be burned? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? 
So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Did you catch that last part? You may be able to hide it from your spouse and from your kids. You may be able to hide it from your boss and your coworkers, but you will not be able to hide it from God. In fact, here's a thought for you. What if Satan doesn't want you to get caught yet? What if he's waiting for just the right moment when you will do the most damage to your family and to your career and to your reputation? Friends, let me say this as clearly as I can. Getting caught is not the worst thing that could happen to you. Living with fear and shame and loss is. But it doesn't have to be that way. Even if you've given in to temptation in your life, even if you have an area of your life where you've said, okay, I'm not going to do that again, and then you just always do it again, Jesus Christ loves you. He can heal you. He can bring freedom into your life. He can forgive you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Look what the Bible says in 1 John. It says this, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. Look at that word every. Not some wrongs. Not the little ones, but certainly not the big or the embarrassing ones. No, no, he can cleanse us from every single wrong, from every single sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since he himself, talking about Jesus, has gone through suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are tempted. That verse sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they would never talk about a God who can empathize with you in your temptation. But Jesus took on human flesh. God became man, and he was tempted in every way that you are tempted. And so the Bible says that when you are tempted, he can help you. See, most of us, when we think of self-control, we think willpower. Just got to try harder next time. It's not about that. It's about looking to Jesus for help. It's about being filled up with his spirit so that self-control flows from your life. But even that does not happen overnight. In 2007, the wife of Billy Graham, Ruth Bell Graham, passed away. And the words that were etched on her gravestone had nothing to do with her significant achievements in life. They had to do with the fact that God is working on all of us. See, one day Ruth had been driving through a construction zone. And there were miles of detours and cautionary signs. And finally she got to the last sign. And it said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. Those are the words that are etched on Ruth Bell Graham's gravestone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. All of us are tempted. The issue isn't, are you being tempted? The issue is, do you know what tempts you and are you striking back? So make an advanced decision, watch and pray, don't feed it, stop feeding it early on, but then give yourself some grace. You are under construction, we all are. God's not done working on you yet, God's not done working on me yet, thank you for your patience. Let's stand together and pray at all of our campuses. Lord, I pray for that person here who has given in to temptation in an area of their life. And God, they feel an incredible amount of shame and guilt and pain because of it. 
God, I pray that you would set them free. I pray that you would forgive them through Jesus Christ and through faith in him. God, I pray that you would restore them and wipe the slate clean and that you would begin to give them a brand new start. Make them a new creation, God. Lord, I pray for all of us because we all face temptation. God, where is that area of our life where we just need to close the window? Speak to us about that, God. Maybe there's an area of our life where it's just open a crack, but we just got to close the window a little bit. God, I pray that you would give us the power and the wisdom to do that this week. And God, finally, I pray for that person who they are one decision away right now. They are so close to wrecking part of their life. There is a temptation, an area where they lack self-control, and they are right on the line, God. Lord, may this message be a warning. May it be a call from you out of love to come back to you, to be filled with your spirit, and to have self-control. And God, I pray that you would do that in their life, that you would help them, and that you would fill them with your spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.